Religion is the opiate of the masses, said Karl Marx, the atheistic founder of communism. What he's saying with this famous phrase is that religion serves a function similar to the role of a painkiller. Just as a painkiller, like opium, could help an injured person uh, deal with physical pain, so Marx, Marx claimed religion helped a person deal with the sufferings of this life by giving them uh, a false hope, what he saw as a false hope of happiness in the next life. Now, obviously, Marx was no believer. His God was his political system, which he hoped would bring about a utopia on earth, a heaven on earth, if you will. And had he lived to see his system put into practice in the 20th century, he would have seen that not only did communism ultimately fail, but it produced, it, it not only did it fail to produce that utopia, but it produced a severely brutal uh, regime, uh, actually several very brutal regimes. Nevertheless, just because his political philosophy was a disaster, that doesn't refute uh, his argument. So was Karl Marx right? Is religion the opium of the masses? Is it a mere nice fantasy which numbs us to the harsh realities of life by giving us a false hope of a blissful afterlife? The answer, for several reasons, is a resounding no. First and foremost, because God himself, who cannot deceive nor be deceived, reveals to us the existence of heaven. But I would also say that um, our reading today, our first reading today, as well as the book of Revelation, give us some additional insight into why Marx is wrong. Because he fundamentally misunderstands the Christian approach to suffering, and he fundamentally misunderstands heaven. First, let's look at suffering. In our first reading, St. Paul and St. Barnabas preach, it is necessary for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And you can imagine that if Karl Marx were here, uh, this would be exhibit A in his case against religion. But let's ask this question, why? Why is it necessary to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God? It's not that suffering is good in and of itself. It's not. It wasn't even originally a part of God's plan, but it entered the world because of the sin of our first parents. So why is it necessary? Well, we find the answer in the cross of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Christ willingly embraced suffering in its cruelest forms. Physical torture, yes, but also betrayal and abandonment, public ridicule and rejection, unjust, false accusations, wrongful conviction. Christ embraced this suffering out of a tremendous love for us. And this tremendous love, uh, which moved Christ to pour out his life for us, transformed the suffering of the cross into the font of our salvation. It is the cross of Christ that helps us to answer why we often have to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And the answer is love. Christ calls us to truly love God and neighbor as he loved us. And he loved us tremendously to the point that he poured out his blood for us on the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ shows us there can be no true love without sacrifice. He loved us in a self-sacrificing, excuse me, self-sacrificing and self-giving way. And that is the love that he calls us to imitate. And look, this isn't something we can do by simply trying harder. And this is no mere human love, but divine love. 
We need to allow the love of Christ to transform us interiorly to the point where we can try to love as he loved us. The love of Christ's disciples, this self-sacrificing, self-giving love, is absolutely essential to understanding heaven as well. In Revelation 21, heaven is depicted as a holy city in which this world is transformed. A few chapters earlier, uh, prior, Revelation 18, we hear about the fall of the polar opposite city, Babylon, a city which stands for all that is opposed to God. Babylon and the New Jerusalem, these two st cities stand for two paths for mankind and two destinations. The city of Babylon, destined for destruction, stands for hell, and the New Jerusalem for heaven. So what do these two cities have to do with love? Well, the idea of two contrasting opposed cities, one in communion with God, one rebelling against God, um, that's, that's actually taken up by St. Augustine in his masterpiece, The City of God. In, in this life, Augustine said, we see the city of God existing side by side and intermingled with the city of man. And these two cities have each been formed by two very different kinds of love. The earthly city, the city of man, created by self-love, reaching to the point of contempt for God. By contrast, the heavenly city, the city of God, is the civilization built on and unified by the love of God to the point of contempt for self. In the end of the book of Revelation, uh, uh, and Augustine's insight from the city of God shows us that heaven is not some pie in the sky. It's not an individualistic reward for grinding our teeth and suffering in this life, but it is the fruit of love, the fruit of the deepest kind of love, the love that isn't possible without sacrifice. The holy city, the city of God, built on and unified by love of God to the point of contempt of self, shows us that heaven is about the love of Christ taking root in our heart and then maturing as we come to learn to love others as Christ loved us by laying down our lives for God and our neighbor. Our age is marked by an increasing warfare between the city of man and the city of God. Maybe we even experience this tension within our own heart and soul. But we know, however, how the story ends. We know who has the last words, and it's not Karl Marx. Our destiny is to be perfectly united uh, in glorifying God in the holy city, the new and eternal Jerusalem. There we will find the God who is love dwelling with his people. There we will find a perfect fulfillment of every good desire, true and lasting happiness. Let us pray that the love of Christ may continue to grow in our hearts so that we can love God and neighbor as he loved us so we can be called the true citizens of the holy city, the new and eternal Jerusalem.